such an easy question Why can't I get an answer? Oh yeah, it's such an easy answer To such an easy question Why can't I get an answer? Good morning and welcome to episode 444 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I'm Ben Lindbergh. Joined by Sam Miller and his keyboard. Howdy. Hi. How are you? Uh, okay. Any banter? Good. Uh, no banter. Just doing some last-minute, uh, last-minute play. play indexing. Very good. Very good. Yeah. This is listener email show, so we'll be answering some emails, getting to the play index segment. I did see. Do you remember when I read maybe a week or so ago a quote from an anonymous executive who? said something about talent getting worse in baseball? Uh, I don't remember that exactly. Mm. Well, it happened. Uh. <laughs> and <laughs> Peter Peter Gammons wrote an article about changes that he would recommend to speed up the game, and there was another quote from an anonymous executive who said much the same thing. He said, a club executive said, we are also dealing with a lack of impact players coming into our game. The talent pool is shrinking. We focus on Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and some of our great young players, but after that, it becomes problematical. Look no further than this year's draft, Gammon says. No impact position players, especially at the infield and outfield corners. I I had a conversation not that long ago with a former um, player development guy who was uh, very, very strongly believed that this is the case too. And, and he huh. blames it all. He blames it all on showcase culture. He thinks that uh, nobody learns how to play baseball. Uh, there it's basically like he thinks that showcases for high schoolers uh, and, and younger, I think maybe even, uh, it's like essentially like building glam muscles instead of strength, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, guys are really good at, at like oiling themselves up and looking, looking hot in a in a in a uh, g-string uh-huh. but uh not at like lifting heavy things hmm interesting that's a uh, i should just be clear <laughs> that's I'm a, speaking, some speaking sort of metaphorically bodybuilding <laughs> comparison yeah um, that's actually not part of the game just to be to be super clear uh i've, but, never, I've never been to a showcase so it could have been uh, yeah uh but i don't I mean, I don't believe that. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that even a little bit. So, okay, so that's one player development guy and two anonymous club executives that have said this to us recently. It's also, they should, yeah, they should it's know. A, but what? Well, no, I mean, it's also it's not just those guys. It's also everybody who's ever been involved with the game over the last 140 years. Yeah, has I, been saying this. It's not the typical like retired player saying kids today don't know how to play the game or maybe maybe it is it's not it is that's what it is that's well well this i mean this club executive isn't saying that it's just talent without refinement he's saying that there's no talent that the talent pool is shrinking and i can't yeah. i can't i mean why why would it be shrinking just i got yeah other I got sports it. stealing talent other than that i mean there are more people um well the thing about it too that see it doesn't seem like like nobody's saying that clayton kershaw 
isn't great or or that I mean they're 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 pointing to this year's draft, right? And yes. it seems like a very quick turnaround. If like if there were impact players a few years ago and there just aren't this year, mm-hmm. that seems that seems pretty pretty rapid. But how would you even know? <laughs> how would you even know? It's I mean they're all relative to each other. So Mm-hmm. Like that, nobody hits 400 anymore. Is that the idea, or they just they don't? I mean, they, it can't be that they don't look as good because they do. They they throw hard. Mm-hmm. They they throw harder and better. I mean, pitchers now are you know obscene, mm-hmm. and uh, you know guys hit the ball far and they run real fast and they do crazy slides. Uh, they're good at defense, as we've talked about. They're setting all sorts of individual records for for defense. Mm-hmm. According to advanced metrics, mm-hmm. uh, so I, you know, I have a hard time buying this. Yeah, me too. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's just? Do, do you think this is just an extension of? There's no great power hitters. That is that all they're talking about? Because it is. I mean, I I don't really buy that either. But I mean, I think that relatively speaking there are just as many strong hitters as there ever were the, the mm-hmm. game has the game itself various factors suppress home runs but you know but anyway even if that were true which it could be i, I don't discount i don't totally disregard the possibility uh even if it were true uh, do you think that that's just all that they're talking about or are they just basically complaining that there's nobody who hits dingers anymore and that's what they really want Maybe, because no one really complains that there's no good pitching anymore, because it would be pretty hard to argue that position. So so maybe it is just an overreaction to changing offensive environment. Yeah, or just it might just be an overreaction to one specific draft, and drafts fluctuate wildly from mm-hmm. year to year. Mm-hmm. There are drafts that are deep, and there are drafts that are extremely deep in one particular part of the game, and then there are other drafts that are shallow, and this is a, a different kind of a draft. There's some good high upside pitching at the top, and there are very few uh, high-level position players at the top. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those years, but I don't I don't think it was the case. I'm trying to remember who was drafted last year. Can you name two people who were drafted last year? <laughs> <laughs> if I thought really hard about it. Um, well, well, there was, I mean, a few years ago was like the crazy pitching draft, right? It was, we haven't had a, a draft in a while that I can recall where everyone was raving about the quality of the position players as much. But, um, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying it. Yeah, I mean, conceivable that more players are choosing to, well, are choosing to become position player or pitchers kind of earlier for some reason. I don't know. Mm. Conceivable, maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, probably not. Let's. I mean, uh, unnamed scout will say anything. Like there are so many right. scouts that there's always an unnamed scout who believes something. Not as many unnamed club executives. Not as many, but it's a it's a it's a it's a spinoff genre. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Brady wants to know, and we already sort of answered this via email because he was conducting a poll of writers at the time, but maybe our answers have changed, or we can at least explain our answers, which we didn't really do. If you could shadow with any MLB front office, who would it be? So I'm I'm assuming that he means all-access pass, 
that we we actually get to see the stuff that's going on. It's not just a, a guided tour. It's not just follow people around and they'll show you a thing or two. It's you get to see everything that this team is doing. So you you made a pick. Uh, I chose the Dodgers. Yes. Um, why did you do w- that? W- without much conviction? But mm-hmm. first, why don't you say who you chose? I I chose basically the default. It's super advanced sabermetric team, and it's kind of a stereotypical answer, but that's that tends to be the stuff I'm interested in. So if I only have a day and I can get access to everything, then I want to see all the crazy stat stuff that I don't know about. So probably probably the Rays, but very close second, I think, would be the Rockies. Uh, yeah, the Rockies would be interesting. Um, I chose the Dodgers for a few reasons. One is that uh, Stan Kasten, who is the the president, is I think one of the uh, one of the geniuses in the game. And so I would like to, uh, if if you're just if if I could only choose one person, for instance, and this is sort of along the lines I was thinking, there there are maybe I don't know ten or so people that would come to mind, and uh, and at least two of them are are in the Dodgers system: Stan Kasten and, and Logan White, the amateur scouting director. Uh, who you know has some reputation for being the best um, in the game at at scouting, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Bob Engel, who is also a legendary scout, uh, one of the great scouts of the last three decades, uh, was a, one of their big uh, sort of snuck in there when when they were signing all these players for big money. Bob Engel was one of their big kind of uh, relatively big money front office uh, poaches. They stole him from, I think, the disgruntled Mariners uh, organization. He was part of that Jeff Baker article about how the Mariners were uh, losing losing brains. So uh, I'd kind of be interested in, in those three individually, but also I, I just think it would be much more interesting to see um, a team with money because we, we don't talk about those teams' approaches nearly as often, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're so focused on, on little things like, uh, you know whether you can uh, pick up a tenth of a win uh, by you know bunting in some particular direction or whatever. But it, to me, it'd be interesting to see how a team with all this money uh, treats baseball intelligence. But also, just there'd be a lot more action. There'd be a lot more um, kind of drama. Mm-hmm. It'd be like watching a blockbuster instead of watching like a Terrence Malick movie, which. Uh, actually, I much prefer Terrence Malick, so I don't know why I chose to use that analogy. <laughs> well, you're probably in the minority there. So, yeah, I don't know if I would choose the Dodgers. Did I feel like that's a... Well, I know you wouldn't choose the Dodgers. You right. chose two teams already. <laughs> yes, you would know. Um, but th- that's a team sort of with a reputation of, like, ownership dictating a lot of stuff, isn't it? Sort of, I think. And uh, really? I, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I don't like those big monies. I mean, to me, I feel like it would be less interesting to follow a team that has all the money. The other thing is that Ned Coletti is, um, Ned Coletti has a reputation for having a particular kind of, I don't know if I want to say genius, but a, a particular skill set, uh, which is that he is not the great baseball mind. And we could see that for like the first seven years, when left to run a team, it seemed like he was doing it. It seemed like he was doing a fairly poor job, and and you never got the sense that he was the smartest baseball mind, or or even an an an, an average one, maybe even an adequate one. I don't know. 
but he is really good at calling people. Like he is the hustler, you know, he's the guy who gets things done and lays the groundwork and closes deals. And so once he had the, uh, the, the purse strings loosened, um, he was able to sort of let his skills shine. And you could very easily say, oh, well, you know, he's outbidding everybody by, you know, 40%. So how much skill does that take? Uh, but I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not choosing this team because like I love them and I just like want to want to have my love crush vindicated. I would actually be curious to see how he does his job and to learn about uh, you know what he does well and what he doesn't and what works and what doesn't. So I think it would be interesting to see Nick Paletti as well do his uh, his hustle. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see the Rockies split front office system yeah. in action and the you know co GM with a, a office on the clubhouse level and near the clubhouse and all of that really, really unorthodox stuff that sometimes you hear murmurs about not working so well, but they have stuck with it. I'd love to see how that works on a day-to-day basis. You know, how you, how you manage that, how one GM hands off to another GM when it's an issue that could concern it split like the major league team and the minor league team, but obviously those interact all the time and influence each other and, so it seems like something that would be complicated in practice, and I'd, I'd like to be a fly on the wall. The other thing is that the Dodgers front office has, as their senior vice president of corporate partnerships, uh, Michael Young, who is almost certainly not that <laughs> Michael Young. But how great would it be if it was, and you got to see Michael Young schmooze Budweiser? Yeah, he'd be great at that. He really would he'd be. He'd be a great corporate partner person. <laughs> That's what he should do if he's not already doing it. The senior vice president of stadium operations is Steve Ethier. Oh. Can't be, right? Interesting. Reverse nepotism? <laughs> you get to be, I don't know, it's not that common a name. No, it's not that common a name. Do some research. All right. All right. Ken asks, home field advantage in Major League Baseball has long been in the low to mid 50% range. If you had control over it, would you make home field less pronounced so that the game would come down to talent and strategy, or would a bigger advantage make for a more interesting narrative, or at least justify the narratives that we already get? Uh, Ethier has a brother named Steve. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> that that makes it more likely. Hmm. Uh, the question is: Do we think it's more interesting if there's a greater home field advantage or less home field advantage? Yes. I think uh, more. I choose more. One, because I, I think that um, it's just good for the amount of happiness in the world. Like This, is a, th- this feels like a, a waste of happiness, really, if, if we, we've got 50,000 or 30 or 20,000 fans who go to watch a baseball game, and almost half the time they go home sad. Uh, for no reason, it seems like a distribution that was like 70% home field advantage uh, would just create a lot more happy fans, right? Sure. Uh, but also, um, I like. I mean, I, I I'm assuming that this wouldn't be just uh, increased home field advantage for no reason at all. Like, I would like it if home fields could be sort of manipulated a little bit or played off of, built around in a way that that added a strategic element. To me, it's frustrating Mm -hmm. that this is such a small part of baseball. It feels like it should be a larger part, uh, certainly larger than it is. 
but it doesn't seem to me, and it doesn't seem like really any teams have managed to turn their home fields uh, into a clear and decisive um, kind of 26th man, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, like the Rockies, for instance, uh, they you know they win a lot more games at home than um, you know than their true talent level would suggest. But on the other hand, it has negative effects on them as a franchise, and for that reason, it seems like their home park is a curse that will keep them from ever winning a World Series. Um, and, you know, the Padres had the most extreme park in the other direction, and yet, despite all of the uh, amazing bullpens, um, they never really did seem to be able to turn that into, um, you know, like postseason appearances and postseason success. Uh, I would love it if there were teams that were able to. Like, to me, it's uh, it, it would be... It, it's funny if you if you if you create this idea that the park is not just a setting but itself a character. I think mm -hmm. it's delightful, and uh, that's lacking. It's probably more what it, uh, Fenway probably more than any other, especially when you think about the the Fenway effect that that everybody in the league thinks that uh, they get on umpires' calls. Mm -hmm. It's probably the the best example of a of a true home field edge, but. Um, yeah, otherwise, I mean, you know, you go to Angels games, it's like you can't, it, it could be anywhere. Yeah. Well, how high would you want it to go before it before starts you interfering lose, with right. your appreciation? Because I'm fine with yeah, it you as want it suspense. is. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, the, the more uncertain the outcome, probably the more interested I am. Or I don't know if if it's 70% or something, that's that strikes me as too much. I, I want more uncertainty. I want less predictability in the outcome. I don't mind it being 54%. That's not even as as it is now. That's not so high that you'd even notice necessarily. But I wouldn't want it to go much higher than that. Well, uh, so in the NBA, it's 61%. So somebody who follows the NBA will have to let us know if this is considered a problem uh, in the NBA. Um, NFL 57%, which surprised me. I would have, the way that it's talked about, uh, you, I would have guessed it was higher. Um, yeah, that's what Ken is saying. It would at least justify the, the narratives that we already get. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know Be, beyond 70, then I would start feeling like, yeah, it would take away suspense. It would feel, uh, you know, too certain. The outcome would feel too certain. Mm -hmm. But anything up to 70%, I could still see being fairly entertained. Yeah, sure. I'm I, not, don't li I don't I, like it being, I guess I don't like it being quite, I don't have a problem with it being as low as it is. But mm -hmm. like, it, again, I mean, if I, if I go to a game, I want to see the team win. Mm -hmm. This question comes from another Ken, a different Ken. I would like to hear your thoughts on replays and how you think they might impact the job security of Major League umpires. I know that umpires outwardly endorse replays, but it seems the challenges are an in-game test for them, a very public trial of their abilities. Without naming names, I can think of one umpire who was always finding himself in the middle of skirmishes before replays were introduced. You were very upset that he did not name names. Do you think MLB will use replays or challenges as a way of grading umpires and making changes based on them? I would say it will be part of the evaluation. They've, MLB is already using pitch FX to grade umpires' ball strike stuff, and, and they already did their own review of calls. I don't know how comprehensive it was, but when we heard about the replay announcement from MLB, they 
kept spreading those stats about how they had reviewed all the calls to determine whether they were right or not. And, and they came out with whatever it was on average, there's a, a blown call every three games. It was something like that. So presumably they've already done some sort of review and maybe they'll just have to do less work now because it's done already. But I'm sure if there were one umpire who's, you know, he blew every call and every time there were a, there was a challenge against him, it went against him. That might factor into it. But even so, how many how many challenges total are we going to get this season? We're only up to about 230, it looks like. So, so we'll probably end up with something like 1,200 challenges in the regular season, roughly. And considering how many umpires there are, it doesn't seem like you'd even get enough of a sample, at least in one season, to to statistically say that an umpire is worse than any other under umpire based on his record in challenges. Uh, well, yeah, you're right that it will create data, although that data was already being collected in anticipation of this, and that you know that data would be useful in assessing umpires to some degree. But I think that a better way, maybe a, a way of looking at this, Ben, is is basically asking: Do does Major League Baseball want fewer replays? Uh, or do they like replays? Do replays add drama to the game? And I, I, w- I would say that this first year, they are a novelty. They're entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Every single one gets a highlight on MLB TV um, and a cutaway on MLB Network. I don't know if that's actually true. I don't get MLB Network. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they do seem like an interesting novel thing. The Pirates won on a walk-off replay review tonight. I was going to ask you, actually. Do you yeah. know if that's... Is that the first walk-off uh, yes, replay? Yes, I believe it was. Or at least the broadcasters were saying that it was. I think yeah, there it was. Have, there have been... I think there have been games that have been walk-offs where the play was replayed, but not overturned. So I think mm-hmm. this would be the first walk-off overturn. It was interesting. Um, they celebrated as if there had been no <laughs> break whatsoever. I was wondering as I was watching, how will they celebrate this? Is the is the joy will it wear off during this replay review? And apparently it didn't at all because they, they they reacted exactly as they would have really if if he had just been ruled safe at but, home from the start. Well, but so the play though it was Marte with a triple scoring on an E uh, yes. on an air. So so normally what would happen is he would score and then they would chase him. They would they would have to run out of the dugout yeah and and get him and and if he chose knowing that he's going to get punched, uh, he might flee, and then mm-hmm. they would tackle him around second base. But in this case, he would have been sitting next to them already. So yes, he was, it would have been, if nothing was, else, it would have been just they would turn to him and sh- like shake his hand like uh, well, like, a, no, like, was, like a 1930s gentleman would. Or, right, or, <laughs> that's what I was wondering. But no, it was, it was, there was less chasing because he was sitting in front of the dugout, like in the dirt, sort of by the on-deck circle, waiting to see what the outcome would be. And then when he was ruled safe, he sort of ran toward the rest of the team. And he then ran toward the rest of the team. Wait, where was he? He was like sitting sort of right right beyond the fence that leads into the dugout, kind of not quite on the on-deck circle, but in front of the, the fence, in front of the steps. About So like 10 feet away? Yeah, probably. So this sounds like, this. the way you're describing it, sounds more like... Uh, guy gets drafted in the NBA on TV and less like a Brazilian scores goal in a soccer game. 
Yeah, there was less running, but there was just as much of a pileup. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the point that I was getting to is uh, if th- uh, after a couple of years we'll probably get, I don't know, maybe we'll get sick of these replays, or maybe baseball will just consider them to be too time-consuming, even though, as Russell showed in his uh, article on Fox News, uh, Fox Sports, sorry, uh, yesterday they were, they're only adding on average about one minute per game, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, the point is if, if they're a burden and, and, the, and Major League Baseball thinks that they suck, then yeah, you could definitely see a case where the umpires that are responsible for this thing that baseball doesn't like, uh, that would be part of their evaluation. And if you are adding too much of an unwelcome thing into the game, uh, as though Major League Baseball has the power to fire umpires, but you know, right. if they could, they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it is now, I don't think MLB considers these a bad thing at all. I think they are adding color to the game, and they, while you don't want to see calls be wrong, the replay itself, I don't think, is considered uh, a problem at this point. Mm-hmm. Would you care to do play index now? I would love to do play index all right. right now. Uh, so. This actually was inspired by a question uh, that somebody asked us, um, and I'm going to see if uh, I can read the question. Uh, so Brett says, uh, today's podcast about intentional walks reminded me of my favorite baseball fun fact. Every time a team has intentionally walked a batter with the bases loaded, the pitching team has gone on to win the game. Uh which is interesting, and of course, there's a, it's deceptive, right? Because the they didn't win because they intentionally walked the batter with the bases loaded. They presumably walked the batter with the bases loaded because they were already well ahead in the game and were playing it safe. Mm. Essentially, in that situation, it's playing it safe to uh, protect a larger lead. Anyway, uh, can the baseball reference play index do searches like this? What's a team winning percentage when they hit a grand slam, for example? I don't think I can answer the Grand Slam question because Grand Slam is a it's a, it's a fake thing, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a made up idea. Uh, so it's possible that I can, and I just didn't figure it out in time. But I I did run a couple of others, and I wanted to have you guess them before I move on to the second half of this plan deck search. But uh, I went to the uh, to the uh, let's see, I went to the pit, uh, to the team game finder uh, for batting. And in the team game finder, you can search for any game in which the team did X, or rather, I guess you you can say you can do all sorts of things. You can look for the game where some team hit the most home runs in franchise history, or you can look for uh, which team in history had the most doubles in one game, or whatever. But another thing you can do is filter for a certain act or a certain event, and then um, you can see how often they won and how often they lost. So, um, so for instance. Ben, mm-hmm. uh, what percentage of the time does a team with zero RBIs in a game win that game? What is their <laughs> winning percentage with zero RBIs? Mm, five? It's actually, uh, po- it is uh, 7.5, 0.075. Mm. So okay. basically they win every, what is that, 14 games? Mm. Uh, so there, that's what we're doing. For instance. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, what about when they hit one home run, but exactly one home run? It, so not two, and not zero. They hit one. So huh. you tell me, is hitting one home run in a game a positive or a negative indicator for that team? 
Mm, well, I suppose it depends on the era. What years are you using here? All of them. I've got, All of them. I've okay. got 104,000 games here. I'm going to say it's a slight positive. You are exactly right, Ben. Hmm. It is a slight positive. It is a 540 winning percentage. So that is about it's like a, home field advantage. Yeah, that's right. It's almost exactly home field advantage. It's a 88 win pace for mm-hmm. a season. Uh, nicely done. Uh, all right. Uh, with one or more intentional walks. <sighs> one or more intentional walks. You mean drawing? Yeah, drawing. I'll say 70. Good. You're good. It's actually uh, 736. So I found nice, my nice, calling. Yeah. All right. Uh, sacrifice bunt laid it down. One or more. Uh, and hmm. this one is only since like 1960 because before that, sacrifice hits and sacrifice bunts are lumped together. All right. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the typical sacrifice situation. Are you trying to come back or are you trying to... Um, hmm. I'll say 45. It's actually, you, you missed this one considerably. Uh, it's a point, it's a 638. So wow. uh, huh. uh, basically uh, better than a hundred win pace. Uh, and yeah, I think that it's because if you're down by say three or more, you're likely to lose and you're unlikely to bunt. Mm. Uh, but also having a sac- while sacrifice bunting is usually a, counterproductive strategy the situation that leads to a sacrifice bunt uh you're already in an in an advantageous state right we already know that you have uh base runner parenthesis s uh close parenthesis on uh and that they're in a position to score um mm-hmm. so yeah that one makes sense mm-hmm. uh a quick thing uh before i move on to the second half of this more caught stealings the better so if you are if you have one caught stealing in a game, you are the favorite. Uh, but if you have two, you're the substantial favorite. If you have three, you win more than two out of three. So uh, strangely, that is a, a caught stealing is a is a bad thing to have happen, and a caught stealing erases. I mean, the only thing you know about this game is that there was a runner on first, and that now there's not. <laughs> right. That's it. And so it should be. You would think it'd be 50-50, except that guy got on first, he got a hit, and it's quite possible that he got a hit when somebody else was already on. I'm not Because he didn't get a hit and then just erase his entire contribution. He got a hit and, art, and might have advanced other players, right? Mm-hmm. So the total bases of that single might actually be two or three or four or five. Uh, and so he only erases his own... Uh, his own his own existence on the bases, but not the advancement that he's already uh, pushed people toward. So that mm-hmm. one took me a little while to think through. But yeah. all right, so here's the last uh, the last one, and then I have a little thing after this, a list after this. Okay. Left handed left handed starter. If you have a left handed starting pitcher, what is your winning percentage? Mm. Oh man, um, I'll say you lose more often you actually don't you it's a 505 
winning oh. percentage. <laughs> it is a slight advantage to have a left-handed starting pitcher, which surprised me because I've always thought that the left-hand fetish that baseball men have yeah. is probably led them into some dark alleys. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't. In fact, left-handed pitching is an advantage. And, um, and you know, this is particularly you know notable. I mean, we know that the, that the field favors left-handed pitchers, uh, and that the game favors left-handed pitchers. But you know, I, I would have. I'm surprised that uh, baseball hasn't uh, reached a point of not just equilibrium, but kind of backlash. Um, they actually, I mean, thirty roughly thirty percent of games since 1914 have been started by lefties, and that's obviously far more than than the general population is left-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then I I, I looked at this uh, last one. I looked at it by decade, and would you? Well, I'm not. It's actually the pattern is uh, too hard to make you guess. So, uh, from 19 in, in the first half of the century, it was a 502 winning percentage, uh, and in the 50s it was a 502 winning percentage, and then in the 60s and 70s it actually sort of jumped up to 509 and 511, mm-hmm. uh, which was its peak, and that's, that's also the peak of left-handed starters. The more left-handed starters were starting games or a higher percentage of games were started by left-handed starters in those two decades than ever before, which is kind of interesting, um, that they became both more frequent and also better. Uh, and then the 80s, it dropped to 505. The 90s, it dropped to 501, barely an advantage. And then a, in the 2000s, all of a sudden, back up to 508. And then this decade, 2010 to now, is on pace to be the first decade ever in which lefties have a losing record. They're uh-huh. currently they're currently 47 games under 500 with a 4.96 winning percentage. And so Ben, here's my question. See, that's you. my answer was was influenced by the the recency effect. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that was what I had noticed that in recent years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so Ben, here's my question for you. We're talking about huge numbers of starts. We're talking about 13,000 or so starts per decade. So clearly this is not the case that, oh, you know, Randy Johnson retired or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So can you think of any reason why this would fluctuate from decade to decade? Can you think of any narrative for why the 60s and 70s lefties would do better, why in the 90s lefties would do worse than in the 60s and 70s, or why right now we would be at an all-time low? Can you think of any possible reason for this? Maybe teams being more or less willing to platoon or to or more appreciative of the platoon effect and and loading up a lineup against a lefty with righties or something like that hmm, could be do you know when the platoon uh, the platoon decades were i know that like the 80s were a platoon decade do you know yeah, i were the 90s a platoon decade or the 70s uh, I, yeah, I don't know the numbers on that by decade. I don't really either. I just know the 80s. The 80s were good, and right now we're pretty good. Right now, right now it seems like, I mean, there are certainly teams that are doing that and making a, make, emphasizing that, but on the whole, is it? I mean, given, yep. given all the relievers and the fact that there are fewer position players on the roster? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it, it's not to 80s levels. But mm-hmm. I think that we're at a pretty good platoon rate right now. I think. I might be wrong. Mm. Uh, does the fact that 
lefty relievers are such a huge part of the game now that more lefties, you would think more lefty starters, like the, basically the lefty starting pool would be diluted by lefty loogies who, you know, they're, there's not a total overlap. A lot of guys turn out to be loogies because they're not good enough to be starters. But mm-hmm. s- certainly there, there have to be some that if given a long enough opportunity, I mean, look at C.J. Wilson, right? For a long time, C.J. Wilson was just a lefty reliever mm-hmm. uh, because because we need two or three lefty relievers on every team. So uh, it could be that it's been diluted by the uh, increase in loogies. Plus the talent pool is shrinking. I was going to, that was my callback. I was going to punchline with that. <laughs> you you did it. Good work. Thanks. All right. So, uh, so by all means, please sign up for Play Index. Yes. Uh, we, we will feel happy that when you're happy because this is a, it is really an amazing thing to have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a product we like. Yes. And use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30. That way you, you will save money and Sean Foreman will know that you you got the idea from us, which will which will help. That's less than the price of fourteen cups of coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's less than the price of like four cups of coffee where I live. All right. Um, this question comes from Matt Trueblood. Brandon Warren mentioned on Twitter Monday that Scott Kazmir made his first start of 2013 in AAA before joining the Indians. Brandon wondered why that didn't disqualify Kazmir from being given a qualifying offer. He didn't get one anyway. The answer is that as long as a guy is with the same franchise all year, it doesn't matter where he pitches. Brandon then sarcastically asked, so he could have made 10 starts and still stupidly have been offered a qualifying offer? And of course he could have, but he never would have, right? And so Matt wants to know, uh, how good would 10 starts have to be from Josh Johnson or Scott Kazmir or Ubaldo Jimenez to merit a qualifying offer as far as you guys are concerned? An ERA of one, a 30% strikeout rate? Is there any realistic amount of success a player could have in 10 starts if he had done nothing else over the previous two years to make you pull that trigger? So we're talking about Kazmir last year and... I guess Ubaldo last year and yeah. John Johnson Johnson in the future maybe La- last year this year the year before next year all years <laughs> yeah Johnson jo- you know Johnson yes <laughs> <laughs> all right um so gosh um cuz Ubaldo was as good as anybody could possibly be for like well, I mean, he was he was extremely good for 27 starts, I think, mm-hmm. and really as good as anybody in the game for his final 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had the final 10. I mean, he had the 10 that are as, almost as good as you could imagine, plus you know a very solid 17 before that, plus a history uh, in the short term wasn't good, but a history before that yeah. of being an ace, of being mm-hmm. like a legit ace. Um, and he didn't get one, mm. but because, I mean, he's, he didn't get one from the Indians though. Mm-hmm. Uh, conceivable that he might've gotten one from another team. He got, certainly got, he got paid enough that it, uh, it would have been a borderline call. Mm-hmm. He got paid more than some guys who did get qualifying offers. Wait, Ubaldo got one, didn't he? Did he? He did get one. Oh, well. Yeah. He got All one. right. Yeah. So, well then, 
uh, a lot of the logic that was going into that answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the so he's not quite the same case as Matt is asking about because he he had been pitching, he had been healthy at least. So, what if a guy comes off of two years of nothing? Maybe injuries. Casimir. Casimir. Yeah, basically Casimir. Yeah. So, what would he have to do? Uh, in 10 starts, uh, if he just showed up, because if he were in AAA, he would be producing things that would give us information. So yeah. we have to throw out AAA too, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say he just showed up. He uh, yep. he recovered from surgery, yep. uh, did two rehab starts. Shows up uh, in August. Or... Shows up in on August 1st. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his final 10 starts, he... <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd say uh, I'd say it would be, it would have to be something like strikes out 11 and a half uh, basically max scherzer i would say if he did something like max scherzer's peripherals mm-hmm. uh he'd get a qualifying offer assuming that the era was was also solid yeah so what's that like 11 k's two and a half walks kind of a thing and he'd have to have the stuff obviously to go with that it he, it wouldn't work if he just had a a jeff lock like from the beginning of of last season, couple months, it would yeah. have, it would have to be throwing ninety seven and you know nasty secondary stuff. It would have to he'd have to look like he'd have to do everything like a the kind of pitcher who would get a qualifying offer. Well, I mean, he's got eleven and a half strikeouts and two and a half walks per nine. I don't. Yeah. I honestly don't know that it's it hard to do that with with point. be a, a junk baller. But I mean, Jeff Locke didn't do that. Jeff no, Locke yeah. strike out per walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. But but I would I would do it. I don't think it would be crazy. Maybe it'd be crazy if he were if he if he had missed the two years because he is a habitual injury guy. If he is Josh Johnson and he's never had a healthy season really or or hasn't lately and he's coming off uh, serious injuries, then maybe you wouldn't do it just because you figure he'll break down and you'll never get a full season out of him. But if he's coming out of nowhere, if he's, if he's just, he showed up at a tryout camp one day or something like that, or he, he retired and he came back after two years of inactivity, then sure, I would do it. I think, uh, I will say that now I actually am talking myself down to, to a a lesser performance. I think that, I mean, 14, 14 million dollars in one year mm-hmm. is actually a very low investment mm-hmm. and I mean we've in I think in the past have generally uh, criticized clubs for not offering more uh, more more offers than than they than for offering more offers and I mean you're basically asking a guy to be a league average player on a one-year commitment. So, you know, I mean, sh- yeah, ca- maybe maybe I stand by what I described, but maybe I don't. I mean, you could maybe add a half a run of FIP to that, and I would still take him if he, you know, if he passed his physicals. Mm-hmm. All right, let's finish. This was a two-parter from Matt, although the second part doesn't really have anything to do with the first part. Let's Let's wrap it up with his second part, which is, I am getting a great and growing number of complaints from my more casual baseball fan friends and family about the length and pace of games. There are various ways to address that, and we've talked about that on the show, but I'm most fascinated by this dichotomy. Would you guys rather, if you had to choose, shorten games to six innings 
or shorten the regular season to 100 games. Hmm. Hmm. Um, strongly against either. I would shorten games to six innings. I wouldn't like yeah. it, but I, you know, like as we've talked about, I I need a I need you know like when you get when you become dependent on caffeine mm-hmm. and you're drinking like three cups of coffee a day or whatever, and you're you know you're really dependent on it. And you'll feel a little lousy if you only have one cup of coffee, but you won't get the crash. You won't get the headache. I mean, all you really need is a Pepsi to keep from getting the caffeine withdrawal headache the next day. And so basically, I I need a little bit of baseball every day. Mm -hmm. And I could survive with two-thirds as much baseball every day, but I could not survive with, you know, 62 or 70 more off days in the year. If you were a bad team hoping to gain an advantage on the good teams, would you choose one of these over the other if you, oh, yeah, if you had a question. choice? Yeah. Um, so is a, is a team that sucks more likely to fluke their way into winning yeah. uh, in a 162-game season but where all the games are one-third more, more decided by chance mm-hmm. or by a season that is itself one-third more decided by chance? Yeah. I, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, would well you you would need fewer players mm. so in the in, well wait which one would you i get i mean you'd need fewer players in both but you'd need particularly fewer players in the six inning universe and yes so would that help mm, yeah maybe it would depend if you had good starting pitchers and a terrible bullpen yeah or a really good bullpen and yeah i'm i would guess that that's uh, huh. huh. I would think that you would want the hundred games if you were bad. I think that which I don't know. I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know if it matters. It, it would be interesting matter. if someone just showed that like mathematically it's identical. Is this sort of like we is this at all like when we talk about how the playoffs change things? Because if you're a team that has a really good starting pitching and uh weaknesses in some other area then theoretically at least it seems like it should favor you because you get more days of rest and you get to pitch your your ace a couple times in one game so in this case if you have more off days you'd you just wouldn't have to use your fifth starter anymore we're not sure you'd have more off days though the season might start a month earlier and end a month uh start a month later and end a month earlier yeah we we don't know the distribution of the games, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly your your roster in the six inning situation would be much more top heavy. The question is, who does that benefit? Does mm-hmm. I mean the, the Astros to name a team that's not very good, and the uh, you know A's to name the team that is. The A's have considerably better stars than the Astros, but they also have considerably better scrubs than the Astros. Mm-hmm. So what if you if you created a league where only eighteen players at any given time, could be uh, rostered uh, from your 25, then who would that benefit? Mm, so do, do the good teams have a greater edge over the bad teams? At the top on the, or at the at, bottom? Yeah. Do they have more stars, or do they just have deeper rosters and fewer bad players? Yeah. Hmm. 
We're asking a lot of interesting questions here that we don't have answers to. Somebody should start a podcast that simply <laughs> answers the questions that we that we kind of dawdle off on. <laughs> That's a good idea. It'll be like effectively in control or something. All right. Uh, well, if you have answers to, to these questions that we haven't answered, please let us know at podcast at baseballperspectus.com where you can also ask other questions that we will answer next week or, or attempt to answer. And you can also respond in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. There is a thread there on every single episode that gets posted and on many other subjects and many fellow listeners in there. So please join and participate and please rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And we will be back with a new show tomorrow.